This morning, congregation, within your Bible, we would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 20 uh, in the Bible that's in your pew rack. You can find this portion of Scripture on page 1179. Uh, A most familiar passage of Scripture, I trust, to most of you. Uh, And while we appreciate the familiarity that we have with this passage of Scripture, we would also encourage you to read it and to hear it read in in some way for the first time, uh, perhaps with a renewed uh, attention uh, to what the narrative is communicating to us, uh, that the eternal Son of God in the fullness of time, uh, underneath the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, took on our flesh so that He might be our Savior. So we read from Luke 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure that all of us have received the announcement of the birth of a child. Uh, Maybe it's a child that we ourselves have been blessed with uh, in our married relationship. Maybe it's a child that we have received as grandparents or extended family members. And uh, in former days, uh, the phone would ring and there would be the announcement, a healthy baby, a healthy baby boy, a healthy baby girl has been born. Uh, Today it seems more popular, perhaps by way of various social media. Uh, The announcement goes out. And the typical 
facts are often presented along with the birth of a child. Uh, especially uh, the ladies in the family or in the congregation. They want to know these, these facts and these details. Uh, not only if it's a baby boy or a baby girl, but also, and as a pastor, I've somewhat learned to get these facts down as you communicate uh, the message that a child has been born. Well, how much did the baby weigh? So maybe you, well, 8 pounds, 14 ounces. And the mothers and the grandmothers all nod an, an approving nod. Ah, oh, yes, good healthy weight. And, and, then, and then how long? How long is the baby? And is the mother doing well? And typically, under God's good providence, uh, the affirmation can be given, yes, mother and child are well. We understand that there are those trying circumstances in which the news is not so favorable. Uh, but all of these details usually are a cause for great joy, great excitement. Uh, in our text this morning in Luke 2, 1-20, through 20, we really have the announcement of a birth, but you'll notice that none of those details are given us. Boys and girls, we don't know how much Jesus Christ weighed when He was born. We don't know how long He was. But we do know that which we need to know. That Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took unto Himself a very real human nature in a lowly state. And that He was born for a very specific purpose. To save us from our sins. We want to consider that this morning with a simple theme. The birth of the Messiah. And as we make our way somewhat selectively through the text, it's not our intention this morning to expound every single verse and every single phrase of Luke 2, 1-20. through But as we make our way through this narrative, we'll notice first of all the setting for the birth. And then secondly, the announcement of the birth. And then thirdly, the response to the birth. So we have the birth of the Messiah, the setting, and then the announcement, and then the response to that birth. So first of all, then the setting. Usually when an announcement of the birth of a child comes, it's a result of a mother having gone to the hospital or to some type of birthing center uh, or perhaps a, a home birth is chosen uh, by some. But here, the setting is drastically different. Two things this morning that I want to explain uh, and also apply to us about the setting for the birth, as we find it recorded in Luke 2, verses 1-7, through 7, is that this is a literal setting and that it is a humble setting. What do we mean by a literal setting? This is an event that actually took place. When we read Luke 2, we have a historical record of an event that actually took place. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. This is not some type of inaccurate report of something uh, that followers of this person, Jesus Christ, somehow dreamt up. And especially to the young people of this congregation, it is my hope and my prayer that underneath the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, you would be absolutely convinced of the reliability of the testimony of Holy Scripture also in regards to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let the so-called experts and even the biblical critics, as they begin their work in dismantling the Scriptures, pretendedly deciding that which is reliable and that which is not reliable, let them laugh, let them mock, let them scorn. But as for you and as for me, when we open up our Bibles, also in regards to Luke 2, let us know that here we have an absolutely trustworthy record of a literal event. You'll you notice uh, that Luke is very careful to identify when exactly these things took place in verses 1 and 2. Now, it's somewhat difficult for us to identify exactly what year these events took place. Uh, Luke identifies uh, the rule of Caesar Augustus uh, and the census that went out while Quirinius was governing Syria, all to emphasize that this is a historic event that took place within the unfolding of human history. And we say, and rightfully so, that this is the central event of human history. This is the event that stands at the very apex of all of the events that have taken place within the realm of human history. And notice uh, that Luke is not only concerned to identify that this actually took place in time, but he also is clear about where it took place. And boys and girls, you can go home and you can ask your mom and your dad where you were born, and your mom and dad can tell you exactly where you were born. So I can tell you where every one of my children, what hospital it was. And my wife could probably tell you what, what floor it was, and, and maybe even what room it was. Well, Luke's not concerned with the names of hospitals or the floors of hospitals or the rooms in hospitals, but he is concerned to identify that this all took place, as you see there, uh, in verse 3 and in verse 4, in Nazareth, Bethlehem the city of David. Emphasizing that this, this event is the culminating event of all of those Old Testament prophecies that, that spoke about a Davidic son and a Davidic king. And, and so it ties in even to what we considered last Sunday morning with that glorious prophecy that's given in Isaiah 9. Uh, that a son would be given. And upon His shoulders would rest the kingdom and the government. That government and that kingdom uh, that had been signified with the rule of David. But of course, which had fallen short of the ultimate fulfillment. Luke wants us to know that which was foreshadowed in the Old Testament of this Davidic royal kingdom that was to bring peace on earth has now been fulfilled by the birth of this child in the city of David, Bethlehem. And so there is, underneath the sovereign control of Almighty God, this event that takes place in a literal setting. Galatians 4, verse 4 summarizes this well when the Apostle Paul writes, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And that's exactly what happened. And we read also that the days of Mary's pregnancy were completed and as she finds her days completed, she finds herself along with Joseph in the city of David so that a son might be born. Now, every single one of us and everyone who hears these words 
has to deal with this event. You know, there are events in world history that we observe but do not really have to deal with. And so you can think just for example, even of the tornadoes that moved through the state of Kentucky and you read of the devastation and we certainly sympathize with those who suffered from the devastation, but as far as our practical daily life, those events, we just kind of note them. And you can think of other events that occur within the global scene, but this event is something that every single one of us must deal with. Especially in regards to how we are going to respond to it. But we'll return to that in our third point. We just whet your appetite, so to speak, by identifying this is a literal event, but it's also one that takes place in a most humble setting. And in an apparently insignificant town. I say apparently because we understand, biblically speaking, the significance of Bethlehem. Uh, and this is in no way uh, a putting of a down uh, of rural Iowa. Uh, we love rural Iowa, but there are those towns that you pass through that you hardly notice. And you, the minute you are in it, the minute you are out of it, maybe there's one blinking light in an old granary or co-op that has seen its glory days come and go, and maybe there's a a Casey's, maybe not even a Casey's, maybe just a run-down gas station. And you even wonder, are, are, are the pumps still operating? And, and there's a handful of houses, but you say, this seems to be rather an insignificant town. That's something of what Bethlehem would have been for the average person. Just a town that you pass through. But it's here that the Son of God enters into the human race. And then to amplify the apparent insignificance, it's not in the middle of the town square that this child is born. It's not in the regional hospital that this child is born. It's not underneath the guidance of the local physicians. And it's not met with human fanfare that this child enters into human history. Uh, the emphasis upon being wrapped in swaddling clothes as a sign to the shepherds, uh, and of the child being laid in a manger, a feeding trough for livestock, all amplifies the apparent insignificance that we know is really significant because it points to His humility. And this ought to be a truth that amazes our sense of wonder that the eternal Son of God who dwelt for all of eternity with equal majesty with the Father and the Son is willing to leave that domain of absolute majesty and in His human nature be wrapped in swaddling clothes in an insignificant town apparently of Bethlehem and to be laid in a manger. We find uh, a further explanation of this in Philippians 2, verse 7. He made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And what I would draw your attention to in regards to this is appreciate the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That He was willing to make Himself, we would even add that He was eager to make Himself of no reputation. Why? 
To accomplish the will of the Father, of course, but to accomplish the will of the Father in regards to what? And that's where we'll come back repeatedly to our text of pardon this morning. This is a faithful saying and it is worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world. And when you read that text, came into the world, there is a literal place of the town of Bethlehem passed by by most everyone living in those days, but recognized by the faithful in Israel as the town of David. And that Jesus Christ came into the world in the most humble of positions, taking the form of a bondservant, being wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying there in a manger. And here, congregation, is the Savior of the world. Now it defies human wisdom, but it is the wisdom of God. At a specific time and place underneath the sovereignty of God, the Messiah is born in a most humble setting. Believe it. Not only is it the setting for the birth, but there's also the announcement of the birth. And here we would draw your attention to that section of our text that begins at verse 8 and continues through verse 12. And when I read this narrative, uh, it's almost as if the angels cannot hold themselves back. Now, of course, we we understand that the elect angels, those angels who maintained their position of honor, those angels who did not join with the rebellion led by Satan, but those good and holy angels, we, we know that they do not do anything apart from the will of God. They do not do anything apart from the commandments of God. And yet there does seem to be this holy anticipation that the angels have upon the incarnation. And it's picked up by our text as it transitions in verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid as these shepherds kept watch over their flocks by night. And then once the initial angel gives the communication of the birth announcement, Uh, There is this breaking forth in verse 13. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a remarkable birth announcement. First of all, because of the contents in the announcement, and then also because of the recipients of the announcement. The content of the announcement, it comes from heaven itself. Just think of that for a moment. Heaven. More precisely, the one true eternal God makes a birth announcement. This is not just some human father making a phone call, saying mom, dad, extended family, a healthy baby boy has been born. This is the Almighty God Himself. Through His messenger, the angel, proclaiming to a fallen world, a child has been born. A Savior. A Savior. And this is humanity's greatest need. And this is something that plagues my soul, you might say, and 
burdens my conscience because you will find so many people in so many different outlets talking so much about what humanity needs. You know, humanity needs the basic essential ingredients for life. Daily food and daily water. We well understand that. And humanity needs this or that. You know, they need accessible health care. They need this and they need that. And you have all types of organizations gather themselves together uh, and, and their primary purpose for existence is that they think they know what humanity needs and they think that they can give humanity what humanity needs. But the Gospel message is this. Humanity, men and women, boys and girls, ultimately need one thing. And that one thing is that they need a Savior. A Savior from what? A Savior from sin. Well, what is sin? Thoughts, actions, inclinations that are contrary to the holy commandments of God. Of an Almighty and a majestic God. Now, if you were to make a list, and if I were to make a list of that which we need, would that be number one? I need a Savior for my sin. Well, I can guarantee you on the authority of Scripture that that is what we ultimately need. And that is what the Gospel preaching must continue to proclaim. But not only that we need that, but also then the wonderful truth that God has provided that. You see, preaching can only go halfway in the Gospel message. I could, and I hope I don't ever, and if I do ever, I hope that the consistory of this congregation would call me to task. I could stand before you and just for approximately 30 minutes every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, week after week, month after month, proclaim to you, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. But that's only half a sermon. If it's even that. Of course you and I need a Savior. Here is the wonderful announcement with the Incarnation. God has provided the Savior that you and I need in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a sermon doesn't proclaim that, then it's really not a sermon. Not a Gospel sermon anyways. And so the wonderful joy of the content, there is good news. I don't know if you watch the news much, and I'm really not that interested in what news outlet you watch, but if you watch the news, you'll see that humanity is in desperate need of good news. Because most of what passes for news on any of the media outlets is all Bad news. Negative news. This has happened and that's happened and this is terrible and that's going to be even more terrible. And it's especially in the midst of all of that bombardment of negative bad news that there is this remarkable proclamation of good news. The good news is the Gospel as it's Communicated in verse 11, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. 
And that is echoed, you might say, by the refrain of the angels. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. That's the good news. Peace, ultimately peace by way of a reconciliation between God and man by the work of the Savior. You cannot disconnect verse 14 from verse 11. The reason that there is peace on earth and goodwill towards men is because God has been pleased to provide in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we ought to ask ourselves, also in this Christmas season, in this Advent season, but throughout all of the days and weeks and months of our life, do we understand and do we appreciate that ultimately this is the good news, that God has provided a Savior. And that yes, there's wars and rumors of wars, and there shall be until the end of time. And there's plagues and pestilences. Uh, As the horsemen of Revelation continue to ride out throughout human history, taking a third or a quarter of humanity down with the plague of death. And as we experience the reality of that even at personal levels with the death of loved ones, with the diagnosis of sickness and of illnesses, with all of the turmoil among the nations, we as a Christian congregation, we live by faith. And we're able to say, I see what all is happening on earth. But I know that there is peace on earth through the Christ. Because God and man have been reconciled by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it is absolutely remarkable to whom this message is first communicated. The recipients. I don't say this in a disrespectful way. At least I hope that I don't. But if I were going to make the announcement that a Savior has been born, I would have thought that the announcement would have been made amongst some of those persons that you read about in verse 1 and verse 2. In the palace of Caesar Augustus have angels come and say, by the way, Caesar, you who think that you are the greatest, there's a Savior born today. Or or what about in the chambers of Quirinius, the governing ruler? Why not go to him and confront him with the reality that there is a Savior? Well, we know that the answer is in part that God has chosen the foolish things of the world rather than the wise. And so if you look uh, very carefully, you'll notice that this announcement is made to the despised class of citizens within Jewish culture. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds. Shepherds. Nothing against animal husbandry. We appreciate animal husbandry, but shepherds were not near the top of the social caste system. They were at the bottom. At the bottom. But it is to those on the bottom of society that the first announcement of the birth of the Messiah is made. James 2, verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And here's of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him. But thankfully, it's not just to shepherds. Because while I'm trying to learn uh, the people of this congregation and something of you, I, I don't know exactly all of your vocations or occupations. 
But I don't think there's any shepherds among us. So the good news is to shepherds, but it's not just to shepherds. Look also at verse 10. Then the angel said to them, that's to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. To all people. Now this, of course, is not some type of universalism in the absolute sense of the word that everyone will be saved and redeemed and receive eternal life. Perhaps a better understanding, it's a good translation, a better understanding would be all types of people. This is what the Apostle Paul says, in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free. And we could properly understood contextualize this today. That the Gospel proclamation goes out uh, to those who are residing in North America as well as South America, as well as in Europe, as well as in Asia. Uh, Those who uh, are are of any type of ethnic background. The Gospel, of course, is not just for those who are Dutch. It includes a proclamation that goes out to the ends of the world. There is good news for all people that a Savior has been born. Jesus Christ the Lord. And you see what happens is the Gospel preaching follows and echoes that statement. And so you can think of Romans 10. Verse 11 through 13, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him. And I love that word, whoever. It really echoes what is stated there in verse 10. There is good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And so, there is this proclamation that whoever believes on Him that is on Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's why there's a wonderful beauty to the truth. It, 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 on one hand, it doesn't matter who comes into this sanctuary. Who sits in these pews. And it doesn't matter who hears on the end of the internet or the radio ministry because the Gospel message is that there is a Savior born for all men. And whoever hears the call of the Gospel and responds by believing, and we don't even know, we can't even begin to imagine who will hear these words. It could be someone who pretends to have all of their life together, who has a nice fake facade in front, and from the external, everything looks to be well and fine. But internally, there may be the harboring of hidden sins and the despair that that brings. And maybe they hear these words this morning. There is good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. And then they also hear the call of the Gospel, the external call of the Gospel. Whoever believes will be saved. And they hear that. And they know that the external call is coming to them and they respond with faith and the promise is that you shall be saved. But maybe these words come to someone who is absolutely downcast and destitute. On the verge of homelessness uh, with a whole litany of broken relationships behind them. You might look at them and say, well, there's a wasted life. Maybe imitating that of the prodigal son. Having squandered everything good uh, with riotous living, 
And now when they hear these words, they have come to an end of themselves. But they hear these words, there is good news of great joy for all men. That whoever believes. And maybe they begin to say within their heart, yes, I will arise and I will go back to my Father's house. Maybe they're a covenant wanderer. And it's been years since they darkened the doors of a church. Maybe it's been years since they prayed. Years since they sang a song of corporate worship. But somehow they hear these words that there is a Savior born for all men so that whosoever believes may be saved. And they say, I will go back. And I will say to my Father, Father, I have sinned. I want that person to know that the Father the Father stands on the road looking. And He will receive. He will receive repentant sinners, whosoever they may be. And the promise is that they shall be saved. Now what type of response is this announcement met with? This is in our third point and includes those verses from 13-20. through 20. There is, of course, the praise of angels, and we have dealt with that somewhat already, so we'll simply be brief. The angels are in one way instructive for you and for myself and how they respond to the announcement of the birth of a Savior. And it's just simply this. They praise God. They praise God. Because they recognize that that's the source of this gift of a Savior. And you and I also are called to praise God. That that is the ultimate purpose of our life. To praise God as we reflect upon, but also as we receive this gift of a Savior. Uh, And just notice... What exactly they say in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest. In the highest, they recognize and they appreciate the fact of the majesty of God. Even as that majesty of God, yes, of course, that includes His infinite holiness and His transcendence. But it's also evident in the work of salvation that God accomplishes on behalf of His people. Glory to God in the highest. Because it is only God who can provide an incarnate Savior. It's only God who can combine properly understood with the hypostatic union, an eternal divine nature and a very real human nature. It's only God, as Abraham told his son, who can provide the atoning sacrifice. And so let us also reflect and Join and imitate the angels. And not just in the Advent season, but all the days of our lives. And especially when we gather together in corporate worship. May this sanctuary and may this congregation be known for glorifying God in the highest. You know, that really is the heartbeat of the Reformation. The Reformation accomplished much underneath the providence of God. But if you were to ask what was the central doctrine that was recaptured in the Reformation? The sovereignty of God. 
that God is God and that we respond with praise and with worship. But notice also the actions of men. And it's purposeful that I put the praise of angels before the actions of men. Uh, But I do want to point out these actions of men, these shepherds. There is the proclamation of the Incarnation. But then there must also be the response, the proper response to the Incarnation. The shepherds do not say, hmm, that was interesting. Some angels just told us something that took place in Bethlehem. Wow, we've got much work to do watching over these sheep. And it's the middle of the night, guys. We're not going to leave our sheep. We're not going to travel throughout the middle of the night. We're not going to go to the little town, the apparently insignificant town of Bethlehem. That's not what they do at all, being influenced by the work of the Holy Spirit, responding properly to the pronouncement. Look at verse 15. And read it like you've never read it before. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem. Let us now go to Bethlehem. To do what? The text answers that also. And see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen, they made widely known the same. Uh, The Gospel call is properly understood in its external call, a universal call. Whosoever believes will be saved. But there's also a continued emphasis of urgency on the Gospel call. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. The shepherds don't say, "Mm, maybe next week if we have some time in our schedule. Ah, Maybe when we're older, then we'll begin to take these glad tidings a bit more seriously and look into them. They say to themselves and to one another, let us now go. Today is the day of the Gospel proclamation. And let us say, maybe not with these words verbatim, but let us say together as a congregation, let us now go and and see and behold and look upon this mystery of the Incarnation. As young boys and girls, as young adults, as middle-aged persons, as elderly persons, let us now today go and see this wonder. See it by faith. And when we see it, when we see it, let us then tell others about it. And so on one hand, you could say that following the angels, the shepherds were the first evangelists, not technically speaking as that word is used in the Acts of the Apostles, as a temporary office within the institutional church, but just simply as those who heralded the glad tidings of the provision of a Savior. You see, what they had saw 
overwhelmed them to the extent that they could not keep silent. A question that perhaps is a difficult one by way of reflection. Have you or have I told anybody about the Incarnation lately? Through this Advent season? Have we told anyone about the absolute wonder that God has provided a Savior for sinners in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? The shepherds did. Now, don't think that they had some high position of influence. They were the lowest class in Jewish society. But they had seen the Savior. And those who have seen the Savior with the eyes of faith cannot help but speak about the Savior to those persons that they meet. And so, the simple question following the statement, a Savior has been born. Have we seen Him? And are we speaking about Him? May it be so. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, we do glorify You for the glad tidings that we have received from You Yourself through the angels concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. We thank You that those words have been spoken and can be spoken. And we simply ask that You would help us to understand the significance of them and to respond appropriately to them. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.